Oh, before we open God's word, let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we have this opportunity, and I think we can all freely admit that we lack wisdom, starting with myself here. But Heavenly Father, thou hast said in thy word, as we heard this morning, that we should ask of thee. And so now we are asking, Heavenly Father, we ask that thou would grant us the knowledge of the holy, that we would be fitted for service for thee, and ultimately for fellowship with thee in courts of glory. We ask for a blessing on those that could not gather with us today. We're especially mindful of our sick and shut-in ones. Uh, Brother Edwin, in particular, with his health challenges recently, we ask that thou would continue to be with him and with Sister Barb also as she uh, tends to his needs uh, from, from Windsor. Dear Lord, be thou glorified uh, also in his life and in this condition, and my, may thy name be lifted up, and may we indeed be a praying church. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a, a couple of thoughts that ran through my head from the service this morning, specifically about asking knowledge of God. And I'd like to read with the Lord's help from Colossians, the second chapter. Colossians 2, the epistle of Paul to the Colossians, chapter 2, <clears throat> beginning with the first verse. I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but we will read a, a portion of it. <clears throat> Paul writes, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ." in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am, am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye, there, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him." Rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled 
principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. I've read till verse 15. New Year's is a time of resolutions, new resolutions, efforts to improve oneself, to set goals for the new year. One of those goals that is commonly made is fitness, physical fitness. I want to be healthier for the new year. I am going to take a 30-minute walk every day. I am going to go to the gym three times a week. Many of you know that I buy and sell things on Kijiji. And there's an arbitrage to be made picking up exercise equipment sometime in the summer and selling it around this time of year when people make those resolutions. It's maybe a little bit cynical, but I've made a few bucks that way. Kind of counting on human nature and the fact that those exercise machines will become clothes hangers before too long. But if we're talking about fitness, we need to be thinking about being appropriately fit. This body, no matter how much effort I put into it, I can get better than what I was or what I have been historically. But my body is now doing this. And no matter how much I devote myself to fitness, it's ultimately a losing battle. As I age, my body will become less and less capable, though I might be able to improve from where I am right now. So if we're talking about fitness in, in, in terms of things of value, we need to look at the healthiest spiritual man that ever lived, and that was Jesus Christ. And it's also helpful to look at the healthiest disciple, in my, in my opinion, that ever walked this earth, which was the Apostle Paul. There's a reason that the Lord selected him to write so much of the New Testament for us. It wasn't accidental. I want you to notice some interesting parallels as Paul writes these words to the Colossians. Because I think when we talk about knowledge, here's where I'd like to tie the two together now. When we talk about knowledge and knowledge of the truth, it's important that we have a right idea about God. To start from a wrong idea about God is to get everything else wrong, including the truth about ourselves. If we start from the right idea of God, then everything follows and we will be correct. It's happened before that I've been building something around the house and I made a mistake early on and that sets everything else off. And sometimes you get to a point where you realize I can't really fix that past mistake. I have to go back. I've got to go back to the foundation, back where, where I started, take it all apart and begin again. And it's, that's a painful process. It, it, it's a, a discarding of work and materials and everything else. And, you know, I usually berate myself pretty thoroughly for my stupidity. Why didn't I pay attention to that? I knew better. 
But this right idea about God is something that uh, is, is the most important thing for all of us because you will build your life and your philosophy about life on that. If you think God is only love and only goodness, you're liable to assume upon his grace and find yourself without it in that day when we all shall stand before him. If you think he's all severity and justice, you may become hard and unyielding with other people because you have the wrong idea about God. One of the things that stood out from this chapter to me is, is how Paul begins this particular chapter. He says, I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. For everyone that had never met Paul in person only knew him through his letters. He says he had this great conflict, this, this, this struggle, this yearning within him that he would know them better. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it the same way with us and Jesus Christ? We haven't seen him in the flesh. I've never seen the Lord Jesus in the flesh. And I believe he has that same yearning that Apostle Paul had for the church for us. The same desire. What's that desire? That their hearts might be comforted. Come forth with strength, strengthened. Jesus wants your hearts to be encouraged and strengthened for the new year. It's very easy, especially as we get older, to get uh, cynical about existence, about life, about government, about the church, about our own families even. And when we look back and we see bad patterns, you think that these, these are just going to persist. Like my own body, everything's just running downhill. Be encouraged. It's not that way. The best is yet to come. Christ himself told us that. And unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding. Let's pause there for a moment. The riches of the full assurance of understanding. The distance between our head and our heart is, I think, about 18 inches. That's, I remember that, that um, number being given by Brother George Friend in a sermon. But sometimes that distance is much, much more. Our head may know the promises of God, but do we possess them in the full assurance that God wants us to? You know, imagine for a moment that you're in another, another place, not home. And you have a friend in that place, in that city, maybe. And he says to you, when you're in this city, stay at my house. I'm not there, but here's where to find the key. Let yourself in. Help yourself to whatever's in the house. It's yours. What's mine is yours. When that friend comes home, and he contacts you. He says, well, did you enjoy your stay? Oh, oh, no, no. I, I didn't actually 
take you up on that offer. I, I slept outside. Wouldn't you be upset? You would say, why would you do that? The house was right there. I told you where the key was. The fridge was stocked. I wanted you to stay in my house. It was all prepared. Don't we often do the same thing with the promises of God? We know that they're there. We know that he would be pleased if we would make use of them. But somehow there's this disconnect. And we'd rather live in misery than experience the fullness of the assurance that God intends for us. Don't let that happen this year. We, we live by faith. We walk by faith. Brother Edmund had that sermon last Sunday talking about the, the micro view and the macro view, the big picture. We never see the big picture. We have to uh, apprehend it or grasp it by faith. We have to believe that God is in control of these things. And as we believe those things, we start seeing the evidence for it in the small things. I've been reading the biography of Hudson Taylor, uh, graciously loaned to me by a a sister from this church, and um, I, I'm. If you want to feel really small, <laughs> read the biography of godly men and women. You just realize what a what a immature child you are in the things of God when you you read about the things that Hudson Taylor was doing at 18 and 19 years old. <laughs> and but it is also inspiring, and that's why I read it. In his heart, he felt called by the Lord to China to, to take the gospel to the Chinese, especially the inland Chinese, where no one had reached a quarter of the globe's population untouched with the gospel. And it burdened him. It worried him. Twelve million people every year going over the edge into eternity without Christ. That was such a burden on his heart. But he wanted to know that he was fitted to go to China. He was a sort of a sickly child. He had delicate health, and, and uh, he realized also without any kind of a missionary society to back him, he would be going on his own, and he would have to be depending solely on God and on the promises of God when he was there. So he purposed in his heart that he, he said, there's one thing that I need if I'm going to go over to China, and it's this. I must be able to pray effectively that, that my prayers would move men on behalf of God. And so he decided to, to put that to the test. He had an employer, a, a, a doctor. He was a, he was a, a pharmacist, I guess you would call him in today's language, by trade. And this man was a Christian man and uh, um, a, a, a generous employer, but very busy, both in the things of the Lord and with his own business. And he told Hudson, Hudson, I'm going to probably forget to give you your, your salary, your paycheck. Remind me. I want you to remind me. And Hudson Taylor decided he wasn't going to do that. He would depend on praying to God that God would speak to that man to remind him about his salary and he wouldn't mention it himself. He says, if I can't do that here in England, how can I pray that God would move the hearts of men in China or even the hearts of those back in Britain to send sufficient funds to support me while I'm in China? And so he made that a test. And 
God was faithful. There were times where the money ran out and he didn't know where the next shilling was coming from. And he, he got to experience the joy of the Lord in seeing how the Lord would come through just in time, always just in time, when it seemed like an extremity. And he thought, well, other people are going to be affected by this secret vow that I've made to the Lord. I'm going to... I'm going to uh, uh, inconvenience my, my Christian landlady who, who desperately needs the money of, of rent. What happens to her? And then he thought, well, God surely knows this. He must know. I'll keep praying. That was trusting God in the small scale to see his hand in the greater work. And that's where it starts, brothers and sisters. Trusting God in the small things that he would reveal the pattern in the greater things. Don't be surprised that God waits till the very last minute to intervene. That delights him. Why? Because when you demonstrate faith, that pleases him. When there is no other option, and you turn to him in that extremity, that pleases him. He delights in that. And you will learn something in that experience that you can learn no other way. That's a knowledge of God that you can learn in no other school. And Paul had learned that lesson. And so he writes now. And, and as Paul matured in his walk with the Lord, his his likeness became closer and closer and closer to the likeness of Christ to the point where it becomes almost indistinguishable. Is this Paul speaking this of himself or is this of the Lord? It was that powerful. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit. Who else could say that? Christ Jesus absent from us in the flesh, but present in the spirit. His spiritual body is still here, though he stands at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Don't begin in the spirit and return to the works of the flesh, we're told in other places. As you began with the Lord in weakness and in total dependence on him, so continue to walk in him. Don't think that with maturity becomes independence. That's only true of the carnal walk. Yes, as we get older, we're not dependent on our parents anymore. We can start supporting ourselves and even supporting others. But that's not the way it is with our walk with the Lord. We start in weakness and total dependence on him, and any time we stray from that, we err. We will experience a withdrawing of God's grace. Why? Because he gives grace only to the humble. To those that think, I can do this, God says, no grace for you. And you will find very quickly how far you can walk without the grace of God. I spent too long in my early Christian life on this treadmill of victory, an increase in pride, failure, 
repentance and sorrowing and humility and grace again to walk with the Lord. And it took me a long time to realize, I think, what was really going on. And the Lord was patient with me. He was gracious with me. He allowed me those mistakes again and again until I began learning. I began seeing the pattern and realizing, right, what I experienced in my own conversion as I began my walk with the Lord, that's got to continue. I never outgrow that first experience of that breaking before the Lord. Rooted and built up in him. A wonderful confusion of metaphors. But both are appropriate. And so Paul combines them both, <laughs> even if it doesn't. It talks about trees in one case and then talks about a building in another. Rooted. I like that. It takes a long time for a tree to put down good roots. I planted an, a red oak tree in our front yard when Adam was about four. We went and picked it up. Oak trees, they grow slow. Maple trees, if you want a big tree fast, plant a maple. They'll grow quick. And there's a reason for that. Maple trees put their roots out horizontally. They spread widely. That's why under a maple tree, if you're ever cutting the grass around a maple tree, you'll often see the roots poking through the soil. It goes for the, for the easy-to-get-to uh, soil, the, the stuff that's a little fluffier, richer in organic material, where there's more water maybe, and it grows quickly and out. The oak tree, it puts its roots down. And that's slow. And I can tell you for many, many years, looking at this tree and thinking, okay, it's not dead, but it sure doesn't seem to be growing. What's wrong with this thing? It was setting up those roots underneath that tree, and, and oak trees can grow to be hundreds of years old. If you go to Eastern Camp this year, take a little bit of time. When you're approaching the sanctuary, there's an oak tree off to the left that's got a little fence around it. Go read the plaque. That oak tree is planted from an acorn from a special oak tree in France. It's got an interesting connection to the Mennonites. Go read it. I won't spoil the story for you. But that original oak tree in France is hundreds of years old. Strong roots, strong trees. You should never uproot yourself from your conversion experience. Those roots should only grow th thicker and stronger with time. I have serious questions when there are those that I see, some that grew up in our fellowship, some that I know very well, that seem to just uproot themselves and plant themselves now somewhere else. I think, what happened? You one time believed this. Now you're embracing something completely different. What changed? Don't confuse that for spiritual growth. Transplanting trees, especially once they get to be a little bit bigger, is a risky business. They often don't survive. Be careful of your roots. Tend them. To my knowledge, we don't teach anything that's unscriptural in this church. Some things that are maybe not popular, yes, I'll agree with you on that. Some things that are out of the time, not really current with the, the modern climate of Christianity in this place in the world, I'll agree with that as well. But those roots are put down in soil that's been cultivated with a lot of blood, sweat, toil, and tears. And it would not be wise. It would not be wise to leave that prepared ground 
and the things that we have learned. We're responsible to the Lord for those things. Here's the warning. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. Philosophy, philosophia, the love of wisdom. That's what philosophy should mean. What it often means is exactly the opposite, the love of foolishness. The world has cooked up some pretty crackpot ideas. Look at some of the things that have come out recently to the point where we don't even know what a woman is anymore, or at least we say we don't know. All sorts of foolishness going against the order that God set from the very beginning, thinking we're wise. Paul says, look out. These sort of philosophies, this is not the wisdom of Christ. This is not the wisdom that comes from God. The wisdom from above is simple, easy to be entreated. You can talk freely about the wisdom of God. There's no cancel culture when it comes to God's wisdom. God never says, Psh, quiet now. He invites us into his presence and speaks with us. Takes time. After the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. Now listen to this next verse. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Have you thought about that verse? What do you think it means? For in him, Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead. That's the, that's the triune God. Bodily. In a body. To know Christ is to know God. As I preached a couple weeks ago, he stands now as our representative to the Father. And that's not a figurative position. After his resurrection, he has a glorified body, but he's still a man. As he was God with man, now he is also man with God. And that's a mystery. Paul tells us that. This is a mystery. But oh, what a blessed mystery. What a useful and wonderful mystery for us. To think that we have one that stands now on the right hand of the Father, the one who's invisible, who dwells in the light that no man can approach, who dwells in the thick darkness, it says in other places, that mysterious spirit who is the I am. There's one who represents us and is like us. Touched in all, tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. What does that mean? We have one who knows us. Eric mentioned uh, his, his, his mother-in-law's alternate lyrics to a popular Christmas hymn because she thought, this isn't really, no, no crying he makes, right? He was still a baby, he cried. He was a man among us. I also believe Jesus got sick. How else could he have developed a normal immune system? Sickness isn't sin. Aren't you glad of that? How you deal with a sickness could turn into sin. 
Your attitude when you're sick could be sinful, but sickness is not a sin. And Christ knows what it's like. He's experienced that already. He understands how you feel. And rightly praise the Father on your behalf. Isn't that what an advocate does? A lawyer? Asks the right questions and says the right things to the judge on your behalf. What a blessing that we have one that knows us. You know, the early church understood that and to them, he was not the unapproachable God. He was their brother who stood now in the presence of God for them, yet still fully God. And they didn't, they didn't find that a, a contradiction. They simply embraced it. We can do the same. And the power that comes from that right understanding of who he is and what he does will give power to our prayers. You don't need to pray to someone else. There's no need for Mary to intercede between us and Christ Jesus. He is our brother. We can go directly to him. Christ himself told them, I, I, I tell you these things as friends. I go to your father and my father. Do you realize the closeness? The, 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 the thought is staggering. My, my, my intellect kind of crumbles with that sort of an idea. One like me in the presence of God, how can that be? And yet he says it about himself. One who understands me completely. Not that he had to learn something new, but that I could know that there is now one in the presence of God who understands me completely. That I need not be afraid to come boldly as we're instructed before the throne of grace for help in time of need. We've got one that represents us. No strange four-faced creature or cherub with six wings, something that we would run screaming from, perhaps, but one like us who stands before the Father. Listen to what it says about him. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Blotting them out what with what? It doesn't say erasing. It says blotting out with his blood. His blood shed for us, which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled, I love these verses, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Those spiritual beings those devils and demons of hell that rejoiced in watching the Son of God die on that tree. He resurrected. And it wasn't a spiritual resurrection. Think about how easy that would have been. He died a physical death. He's buried, and now his disciples could go around and say, look, he may have died physically, but his spirit resurrected, and his spirit is now on the right hand of the Father. No, his body rose. Do you realize that we were always meant to dwell in the presence of Almighty God and it was only sin that ruined that? 
our bodies, who we are, were meant to be in the presence of God without sin. That glorified body, and I don't know exactly everything about it, as we read things about Christ, he was able to come into a room where, where the door was shut, but he was still recognizable. In fact, he told them, handle me and see. He served them bread and fish as they sat by the shore. And when that cloud took them up out of, his, out of their sight, the angel said, you see that? He's going to come down in the same way again. You're going to see him again. Not in some mystical, spiritual way. But as you've seen him go, you're going to see him return. I know, it almost sounds fantastic. How can that be? And yet it is. And yet it is. And aren't you glad of it? I never liked being somewhere where people didn't want me. You know, kids in, in school can sometimes be cruel. And sometimes, you know, people would pick, okay, he's the one that we're going to all run away from, have nothing to do with, try to lose. I had that happen once or twice. Didn't bug me that much, though. When you realize what's going on, you're like, okay, well, if they don't want me here, I'm not going to chase them. That's stupid. Who wants to be somewhere where they're not wanted? He wants us to be in his presence. We were meant for that. That is our most natural place to be, in the presence of God. And there's one who's already entered in behind that veil through the sacrifice of his own blood on our behalf. I hope and pray that this knowledge of the holy, it says, you remember that verse from Proverbs? We know the first part of the verse, and we quote it often. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. That's where you start, but that's not where the verse ends. It says, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. That's what you're supposed to go on to. And that, that, that verse, if you were to retranslate it or look at it, it's actually the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And he sets the course for us. He shows us the way. And his heart yearns for us to join him. May the Lord bless the word that we've heard. We have one at the right hand of the Father who intercedes for us. It's, Paul says specifically, I think it's in Timothy, there is one mediator between God and man. And he says, the man Christ Jesus Why didn't he say, Christ Jesus, the Son of God? He was emphasizing that portion of his nature that is so important to us. His ministry as friend, as brother. Yes, he is fully God. And John made it very clear. He says, whoever denies that, he's antichrist. Whoever denies the deity of Christ, that's antichrist. But he is also man. You see... Do you wonder now 
that Jesus said, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must become as a little child? The child rejoices in a truth like that. It's only the adults that have the problem. Have you ever seen a room full of grown-ups, maybe some important ones, and the little child comes in, and there among the group of dignitaries, there's the father. And that child doesn't care a lick for anyone else in the room, runs straight to daddy, and knows they will be received with open arms. There we have a picture of why our Savior sits at the right hand of the Father. We can go to him at any time. He understands us. He knows us, and he loves us, and he longs for communion with us. Let this year be a year where we seek to become more spiritually healthy, more spiritually fit, both for life here below and with him in glory. May the Lord grant each one of us that desire. And if you don't feel that, if instead of, of, of warm feelings of desire of being with Christ, maybe there's some deadness and coldness there, pray to Christ about that as well. He knows. He understands. He knew what it was like to struggle. Read again what he said in the garden. Even he had to say, not my will, but thy will be done. He knows. And knowing all he still loves, that's the miracle of the one that we serve. May the Lord bless the word that we've heard today, and may he dismiss us now with his blessing. Amen.